Welcome to the International School Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Mickton. Dan's on the road traveling at some events. Uh, one thing that I think all school leaders and educators in general, we like data, you know, kind of seeing patterns and be it longitudinal or even for short glimpses. We use exit surveys, entrance surveys. We have exam results. We sometimes like to look at curriculum patterns, maybe attendance patterns. All these different pieces of information can really assist you in making decisions, but also predicting potential patterns and also maybe mitigating some uh, strategic planning in a way that you can anticipate through the patterns what might be happening or what could happen. And you can also plan. This becomes really important. I think nowadays we all understand as school uh, leaders and educators, that data has become a really important aspect of our day-to-day. -day. And today I have uh, what I consider one of the experts in this field, especially in international schools, is Chris Smith, who uh, has done an immense amount of work in the field. And many of you might be familiar with his courses, Chris Smith Visualization, his excellent website, and definitely go to the show notes because he's been very generous in sharing resources and you have the ability to connect with them further. But today, Chris has been very kind to take the time out. And we're kind of going to talk about this idea of data. What does it mean? And ask Chris to kind of lead us through the steps of how do we demystify this? And also as a school leader that maybe you're not into spreadsheets, you don't code, but how could you leverage this? And what are some resources out there to consider? So Chris, a warm welcome to International School Podcasts. Yes, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Chris, first of all, tell us a bit, because one thing that I think is important is you do a lot of work in data, but you're actually in a school. You're an educator by trade. You've worked in the classroom. You kind of understand the pain point and the pinch points of having that information. Tell us a bit about how did you get to the point that now you're leading courses and considered in the circuit as one of the experts in this field? Mm. Yeah, thank you. So I'll just give you a little bit of a, a background uh, for those that might not know it. This is uh, my 25th year in education. Uh, when I was, uh, I started out as an elementary classroom teacher and I went straight into the international uh, teaching community and I taught K to five uh, in the elementary um, years. I did that for 17 years. And then um, moving from, I would, lived in Japan for a long time, taught international schools in Japan, moved to Singapore. And uh, I currently am working at Singapore American School. When I moved to Singapore American School, I was a third grade teacher. And then I moved into the role of a technology coach. And now I'm an academic data specialist. Um, and that journey uh, came around um, based on my, my personal love for learning. I'm, I'm very curious about learning and, and trying to discover new things. Um, I found uh, when I first discovered spreadsheets, I found them to be very intriguing and I wanted to know more. And so I did a lot of self-teaching around that. Um, other people around me, my colleagues could see what I was able to do. Um, and then they be began to um, ask for, for help with certain things. And that's how it just kind of started. And, and through helping and my natural uh, love for helping others and, and service learning, um, I just continued to learn more and more and more um, and then got to the point now where I um, am asked to be doing 
uh, this work specifically, um, at least in the context with a, a Singapore American school and now consulting other schools around the world as well. So Chris, one of the things that you talk about is, is this idea of data. And data can mean a lot of things. Often people associate it with numbers, uh, spreadsheets, formulas. Maybe talk a bit about demystifying what that data might look like when we're thinking about data. Yeah, so data, I think what pops in, if we, if we take it from the mindset of an educator, if we think about educators, um, probably they're thinking test scores, they're thinking numbers, they're thinking percentages. Um, it, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. And because of that, I think that in education, uh, at least in the United States a while ago, there was this No Child Left Behind Act, and that put a lot of pressure on teachers uh, because there was an evaluative pressure and evaluated pressure for school districts. And so they wanted to test kids and it was all about the test and it was about the data. And, and I think that that kind of put a negative connotation around data um, and not just that, but that was one part of it. <clears throat> and so I think that there's this general idea about data being scary or being judgmental um, and then also being inaccessible because of the way that it's presented. Uh, so those are some of the <clears throat> things that I think uh, we need to keep in mind when we're talking about data. Um, but Data for a school setting is not just numbers and test scores. We have we collect a lot of a lot of things. We we want to know stuff about attendance. We want to know stuff about how students are doing. We collect surveys all the time. Um, we're we're wondering how many boys and girls are in the class. Um, how many teachers do we have? Do we have enough coverage on recess duty? Uh, all, all these are all data points, and it just depends on how you use them and how you. Uh, apply them to your to your situation, um, and so I think when it when it comes to using data, um, and we we use it all the time, and I think that it's not, I think it's more of making that data accessible, right? And so if we're able to find a way to make the data accessible, and I don't mean unlocking a spreadsheet, I mean making it um, putting it into a format where people can understand and interpret it. Um, then, then it demystifies data. It makes it a lot easier to deal with. Uh, one of the benefits that we have is with the increase in technology. And I think that um, when it comes to data, and I think that we have um, gotten to a point where we're almost subconsciously using data without realizing it. So for example, on our smartphones, if you have a phone that tracks how many steps you take, or if you're, you have a phone that tells you what the weather is, um, map data, all of that is data that we're using. But the way that, that it's packaged um, for the common user is it's packaged in a way that we can see it, we can understand it, it's intuitive, right? When we're in schools, or if you think about it from, from a teacher perspective and say a district downloads um, test results from a standardized assessment and gives that to the teacher, it's usually a spreadsheet or a PDF of some boxes and numbers and that's not accessible to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so why why don't why are we doing that to our educators? So a lot of my passion around a lot of the passion around the work that I do is taking the data that we have and putting it into a format that is easy to digest and easy to understand and that's intuitive. 
And I think your point's a very important one where you were saying that the, the taking the anecdote of the no left, uh, no child left behind act. I think often as educators, we are very social. We believe in very much a, a kind of a caring pastoral care interaction with our students. And it's more where we're giving narratives and comments. And sometimes numbers feel very cold. They feel almost like they're not part of the narrative that we actually are living. And so often, and I think the example that you give of these test scores, that you get these little bar graphs with tiny letters, and you're trying to, and what generally happens is you just say, okay, I'm not going to deal with it. But I think in some ways, and what's so important that you're saying, within that data, there is so much richness that can really embellish those narratives and those kind of uh, words that we like to use to describe situations. And it's about that creative tension. And I think what you're saying, and I think what resonates, is that how can we translate that in a way that's uh, really attractive because if i think of my iphone or a smartphone when i look at my steps it's colorful there are multiple different graphs it's really easy uh it's very accessible and i think this mystery around data is that maybe often schools have done a disservice to themselves by not repackaging it what are your thoughts on that i i think you're you're very i agree with what you're saying um, and I think that we do that simply because of lack of um, experience and knowledge around how to do it. And, and so what I try to do, at least through my courses and through my consultations and, and the work that I do uh, directly with, with my school, is I try to take that information and just like you would on a smartphone, I, make it, I try to do my best to make it accessible. Um, so one, uh, one example, I'll tell you one story um, of how we did that uh, just recently. Um, we adopted a new math program at, at our school. And it was a lot of information for uh, the elementary teachers to take in on top of the normal day-to-day -day things. Um, and so a lot of the things that I heard in conversations were things such like, um, well, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. I, I only know what, I, I, it's too much for me. I don't even know what this program looks like. All I'm doing is just flipping the pages um, and I can't keep up. What's, what's go I don't know what's coming next, right? And so what I did was, um, and I, I was going into small PLCs, and I was listening to this conversation over and over again. And so I asked the teachers, I said, "What, like, what, what can I do to help you? Like, what would what would be beneficial here?" And they just said, I, "We just need to know. Like, it would be really good if we knew. Um, it looks like the curriculum's too big. We don't have enough time. Do we have enough time to teach the curriculum? Um, if we don't, what should we get rid of? What should we keep?" Like, these are some of the questions that they're grappling with. But if they can't see the big picture, it was hard for them to answer those. So what I did was I set out to uh, go find every single assessment in the, uh, in the program, K to 5. So I found all of the assessments. Um, I went through each assessment. And I built a database around the Common Core standards that were tied to each assessment question uh, in every assessment for every unit, K to 5. So I built a database around this. Then once I had that database, I was able to take that and build visualizations for teachers. And so the visualizations I built, I started out very uh, 30,000 foot, right? Very high level, like this is the curriculum. These are the, uh, in the Common Core, we have domains. And so which are the math domains that we teach? 
And so like, these are the domains that are taught in each grade. And then I showed them like, okay, K to five, like these are all of the standards that are taught in kindergarten all the way to five. So they could see like on a bar graph. And then I also showed them next to that, how many touch points there were in the assessments. And so they could very quickly see like which grade levels had a lot of standards to teach or not very many, which grade levels had a lot of touch points and not very many. And so they could quickly get a gauge of like, oh, okay, we noticed that um, kindergarten and first grade are not too bad, but then there's a sudden jump in third grade. Oh, okay, that's good to know, right? And then from there, what I did was I took all of those touch points and I built out a, a chart, it's called a heat map. And a heat map is essentially like a grid of boxes that um, have different shades of colors. And the, the idea behind a heat map is the darker the color, the higher the frequency of something happening. And so I built this heat map of all of the uh, touch points around the different um, domains, math domains, and then they could see for, uh, for their grade level and other grade levels, like, well, how often are we hitting this domain in this unit? And they could get a really clear picture of, oh, okay, this is heavy, this is light, all right, that's interesting. We noticed that in our grade level, it's heavy here and it's light in the next grade level, why is that? And then what I did was I broke it down even further and took those touch points and divided it into uh, percentages of time. And so how much of our time are we spending, according to this math program, in a certain domain? And then, and then the final step was to go granular and break down every single standard by every unit, but put it into a, uh, a chart where they could cross-reference that with percentages. And then they could use that information to start making having some good conversations around well, what should we use as our power standards? What, if we had to get rid of something, what should we get rid of? What should we keep? And I wasn't giving this to them to give them an answer, but I wanted to give them some information so that they could make informed decisions, right? And so data and that, in this that, particular that situation- I think is so, sorry, Chris, that is mm -hmm. what is a key term, informed decisions. And I think that's something that's so un underestimated in what you did. Yeah, so informed decisions. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't trying to persuade anybody. I wasn't trying to give them an answer. I was just trying to give them some information, try to give them some context, try to create some transparency, give them a different perspective, help them generate some questions, have a conversation that would help them move forward with their ideas and their decisions. What's so interesting is that uh, what, the way you're describing it is that they very likely had anecdotal evidence of these things, but nothing concrete. And really what through the journey that you created, they now have this bird's eye view. So they have kind of the, the, the thing that, you know, so often is easy to see. I'm thinking of your heat map, but then they can go granular. And that combination suddenly, I think, alleviates that feeling is like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where the ship is going. We know it's going there and we have a good kind of gut feeling we're going in the right direction. But that data becomes such an important other point on top of their gut feeling and their intuition. And I think that's what's so interesting is this idea that these data points that you're bringing up 
really are one of one of the many points, but they're one of the critical ones to really amplify what your gut feeling is. Do you find now, especially because there is, we're generating tons of information. Everybody knows that it's overwhelming. You did mention earlier that technology tools have really supported that acceleration of being able to play with data. Do you feel that in the last five years in your own work that you're suddenly seeing there's so many more platforms? I'm thinking about the Google workspace or the Microsoft workspace. Some of these ecosystems that schools have, think of PowerSchool, ISAMS, Veracross, all these different platforms obviously are generating data. Do you think now they're the tools that are available to people with your uh, profile are much more powerful, giving you more leverage? Oh, absolutely. I think I would say um, even with in the last maybe five years, like I think COVID really sparked a lot of this, um, like understanding of data visualization, this term data visualization, uh, especially like with COVID, right? Uh, with seeing charts come out, how what's our rate today and, and what's, you know, what are all these charts telling us as far as like, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Um, we were bombarded with that, right? And because of that, and that was something that everybody around the world could relate to. Everybody knew what that meant. And we could relate to those charts. Um, and there were lots and lots of visualizations coming out. So this idea around taking complex um, data and putting it into a format that people can understand that it pretty much anyone could understand that just elevated um, the uh, level of visualizations that started coming out and the programs to use those. So now there are uh, quite a few uh, online programs that are free um, that anybody that has a spreadsheet or access to a, you know, some information can just drag and drop into these online uh, tools and create some really cool visualizations very quickly. Um, so it's, it's creating that level of accessibility for the, for the common person. Um, and so that's been really neat to see. And I think one thing uh, is you also mentioned that we have data and often we kind of beeline on the exams, uh, maybe uh, attendance, but there's also a lot of well-being data, survey results of, you know, how did you enjoy this unit? What was challenging about this? And we do it with parents. You know, you might have a town hall meeting and then you want some information. Are you finding now that with these tools that now we're able actually to give pictures of a culture or of information in a school much broader than just kind of academic? Are you seeing schools suddenly saying, well, we want to know more about the well-being. We want to know more about the feedback from the parents and the, and kind of the, the patterns that we're engaging with. I, I think, honestly, I think that we've always done that. We've always wanted to know. Um, and now we have, I mean, we, we, and we always have had the capability to, to show that information. I just don't think that we have enough people that know how to do it well, right? Uh, and so what happens, and one thing that I see um, that's kind of a bit of a pet peeve of mine is we'll give out a Google survey or a, a school or a class or a great, we'll give out a Google survey and they hop over to, within the Google forums, they'll hop over to the results and they'll look at those results and most of the time, those results are going to be a pie chart. Yes. Or it's going to be a bar graph of some kind. And what I see, the pet peeve is that 
when some when someone is taking that and presenting it to an audience, they screenshot whatever charts there, dump it <laughs> into a slide deck, and say, "Here you go. Here's the data." And that what bothers me is that the they're they're doing that out of sake of ease, right? They're taking they're making an assumption that oh, because this program has generated this visualization, it must be good. And that's yeah. almost always wrong. And so one of the workshops that I lead out is don't use the default. And it's all around creating better visualizations. And so you so when you even though we have these programs and they are accessible to the common person, there are still some basic principles around design and around uh, usability and readability that need to be kept in mind. And you need to first and foremost, you need to keep in mind your audience. Who who is who is this for? And are they able to answer the questions that they need answered with this information the way that you've presented it? And I think that point is the principles of design, which are really important because so often, and not even just with data, if you look at a lot of staff meetings that I have witnessed, uh, is that, you know, there's a paragraph, there's like a war and peace on one slide and it's 4.30 in the afternoon after a long teaching day, and then they read the slide. And, and it's so automatically you're losing your audience. And I think what you're saying is the same thing. When you give data that's powerful and you want people to be engaged, you want them to be provoked. Maybe you're trying to almost uh, uh, generate some tension, but a good tension for them to kind of jump up and say, wow, I didn't notice that pattern that really requires some type of curation where colors and font size and where it sits on the page becomes so important. And I'm wondering if, and, and you say this is one of your pet peeves, I think so often for school leaders, not having that kind of uh, experience or understanding what often is called Zen, or the presentation Zen, really understanding the dynamics of good presentation and good use of fonts really can have an impact on how your audience is going to react and the return that you're going to get. Are you experiencing that at your level when you're working with school leaders? Do you actually have to coach them through that? Uh, I, that's a lot of what I do. And that's what I really, really enjoy is helping school leaders understand the impact of good presentations, right? And this is a presentation for, it could be for anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be around data, but if you're giving a keynote or whatever information you're presenting to an audience, you need to think about the audience and you need to think about the information that you're putting in front of them. So as you mentioned, putting a, a bulleted list on a slide deck isn't always the best way. And so how do you package that information so that you're able to uh, make it accessible to the people, make it so that they can understand it. Um, and, it and it's in a way that, that makes sense and it's aesthetically pleasing, right? And so you have the basic principles of design such as um, color, um, alignment, proximity, and repetition. So using those, those are the, some of the basic design elements, right? And then you get into, if you wanna go deeper, you get into Gestalt principles um, where you start to highlight certain things in certain ways. and um, and so those are some of the design principles that should be taken into consideration when building any presentation. Now, one of the really neat things, and I'm super, I use this tool often, and I think they've done a really good job of trying to bridge the gap with this is Canva. Yes. Canva has really come a long way um, in trying to bridge that gap around design principles by creating templates and creating color palettes and 
so they're doing a very, very good job. And I think that if um, those school leaders or, or anybody that hops into that, um, hopefully over time, they'll be able to see that and they'll notice patterns and then they'll be able to apply that to their own work. So they've done a very good job of, of raising the level of, of awareness around design principles. Do you think that often when schools share data, it actually backfires because of not having those designs? And in other words, the intent is really positive. We want to be transparent. Here's the pattern of this data, be it assessment, be it attendance, whatever behavior or feedback. And so there's really good intent, but then, you know, the slide deck goes open or that data is maybe not clearly understood and suddenly the impact is not what you want. Oh, totally. I, I, it takes me back to a, a staff meeting where we were looking at uh, social emotional wellness data. And it was data that I think teachers were genuinely, genuinely wanted to know about. Um, it was a, an important topic. The data presented was important um, and it was good. The underlying data was good, but the presentation of it um, fell short. Uh, and I think that school administrators sometimes are pressed for time and they have to get things done and they have to get ready for, for that. But I wonder if perhaps taking a little bit more time and the presentation of it will actually save them time in the long run. And yeah, the, the impact was lost. Want. Yeah, the impact was definitely lost. And I think what happened was the conversation switched. So, for example, in the in the data that was presented, there was um, a row of data that should have been a percentage, and the percent sign was left off. But then on another row, it, the percent sign was on, and so then the conversation started turning around. Wait, is that a percentage or is that a number or what <laughs> is that? And it had, it really didn't. If they would have just left a percentage sign on there, they would have actually started talking about the content of the data. But no, they were talking about like, well, I'm confused because I, that, that's messed up. And, uh, and so it was a really uh, unfortunate uh, situation. Um, and so I think that if school leaders could, that's one thing that I think that they should do is, is if they are giving a presentation, really think about the audience, think about how you're presenting this, think about how this is going to come across, spend a little bit more time on that. And I think that, that they'll end up saving themselves a lot of time down the line. And one thing is that many schools have communication departments. It's kind of having a branding template. You know, everybody uses the same uh, Google slide deck. You, you know, the, the fonts and the colors are already done for you. You know, creating those kind of uh, shortcuts and providing that to multiple different users in your school community can really accelerate that idea of having that uh, look that feels uh, branded and it feels the same. Yes, it's not individual, but at the end of the day, you don't want people, as you say in your anecdote, to be discussing percentage sign or not. You want them to be discussing the content. Chris, one of the things that often uh, the pushback on data is people will say, oh, we're focusing too much on the data and we're not going to other points of reference. And what would you say a balanced approach to looking at data? What are other reference points? And how does data play in balancing to make sure we're just not looking at always the data, but we're also looking at other points of reference and what might they be? What are some things that you explore with uh, school leaders and educators that you're working with? Well, I think we use data as a, as a point, right? It's a reference point. Um, it's not the it's not the the be all end all, but it is a reference point, and so we need to use that triangulated with personal experience, background knowledge, and situation, right? The data 
could be the exact same data, but if, it, if it's put into a situation, uh, one situation is going to be completely different from another situation. So we need to, keep, we need to have that context, right, uh, in mind. So you need to know a little bit of the backstory. That is absolutely critical to having good, effective conversations around data. Um, so knowing the context, knowing the situation, knowing who's in the room and, and what we're talking about. And then you use the data as a, as a point of reference for asking and answering questions. Um, whenever I work with um, schools or teens on, on using data, I try as much as possible to, to make that be a very short amount of time. If the data is presented in a way that it's accessible, then that accessibility is gonna lead to information for people that they can understand, right? That they're able to grab. And then that information will lead to insights, right? Through questioning and wonderings. And ultimately that leads to an action, a decision, right? An informed decision. And so if it's set up right from the beginning, data is, is simply a, a small piece of the bigger conversation that just helps provide uh, insights to, to actions that need to be made. So I try not to spend a lot of time on the data if it's done well, really, so they have more, more uh, deeper conversations. Uh, but they can back it up and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I think this. Now I'll go check that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, let's move forward. Chris, so what I, the kind of what's percolating up for me is this idea of data literacy, visual literacy, and having that capacity and the skills and the knowledge, which many of us, if I think of, you know, old people like me, that, you know, visualization was very different 20 years ago than it is today. And if you think of our students, they are in a visual world, video and graphics and GIFs. That's pretty much how we consume news as usually it's very visual. Would you say that that's something that maybe school leaders, it would be an investment? And I know that you offer some courses. Are you noticing that certain leaders that are engaging in visual literacy tend to be better prepared or better situated to engage with this data? I, I, I think that's a wonderful thing. I, of course, I would love to see this put into schools and be part of the common practice, but, but it's, it's really hard to teach everything to, to all yeah. the kids. Um, but that being said, you are absolutely right. We are becoming a more visual society. And this is all data. This is all information. And it just depends on how it's presented, whether we can, whether we can understand it and interpret it and use it. Um, and I think that when done right and when done well, based on my experience of working with school leaders, if they have created a nice, clear presentation of the data, that's accessible by their teachers or by whoever they're presenting it to parents, um, they tend to have more confidence in their presentation. They have more confidence in the information because they know that the data is going to back up whatever they're talking about, right? And the flip side is that those teachers um, or the other people that are like hesitant to use data or scared of data, when they see something presented well that, that they can access, um, it opens up the door for, for deeper conversations. And so I think that by um, presenting data in a way that's um, clean, neat, organized, and, and created for you know, very simple, simply created, um, it, it just makes it where conversations are, um, are better. Uh, and I think that school leaders 
tend to have, like I said, more confidence in, in their presentations and, and what they talk about. And they're also seen as being more competent when they deliver information. And I think that's so interesting, the point that you bring up. If the data is presented well, then, and also the idea that that data can back up an argument if you're going through a change management process. So, because so often, you know, you get feedback and it's rumor from the faculty, but if you actually have hard survey data, that can be really powerful to maybe mitigate some rumors or some perspectives that might not be accurate for the larger number of the community that might be responding to the issue. One thing that, uh, you know, data has become kind of hip in the sense that all schools talk about the importance of data. Why suddenly this, is it because there's more data available? Is it because the tools are much easier, uh, are much easier to work with? Or is it just because now it's fashionable or mm. all the above? I think that we're just seeing it more in our world. And now it's becoming an expectation that we're going to be able to take this this information that we got and we should be able to make it look better. So we have ed tech companies. There's quite a few ed tech companies that are building their own platforms, right? To, to create um, visualizations for teachers to be able to use. And, and one, it's a marketing tool, but if it's done well, then you're going to get buy-in. So, um, so they try to take like Google Classroom data, right? Uh, how much during COVID, it was very important to know what engagement was like. And they wanted a way to measure engagement by how many minutes students were in Google Classroom, how many assignments they submitted, uh, how much time they were on, those types of things. And, and so these platforms were building these visualizations, these dashboards that were very easy to interpret and very quick to find answers to. And so I think we've um, that coupled with like our smartphones and other things that we're seeing, we're, we're just used to, I think it's becoming more and more, we're used to seeing data presented in, a, in an easier, uh, a more digestible way. And, and I think that schools are still a little bit behind in that. Um, but, but I think they're realizing that they need to, they need to pick up speed and, and, and catch up with the times. Uh, one thing that I noticed, um, luckily my work, my, my job, um, I transitioned, took about three years to create this position. We created this position, uh, and it wasn't there before. Um, so I'm fortunate to be in a school that has that, uh, through that time, I have been contacted by a number of international schools that are asking for job descriptions because they, they're valuing this work and they realize that they need someone uh, that can do a similar thing within their own school. So, so that's really cool to see that they are starting to value this. Um, and I think over time, we'll continue to see more and more of it. Do you think for a school, and that of course depends on the size of the school and the budget, you know, different schools, different sizes, the amount of people they can have, but do you think there's value to having an internal data person more than subcontracting it out to another company and what might be the advantage and disadvantage that you see? Yeah, it's a great question. And so what I uh, tend to do, um, honestly, when I'm asked to consult with a school or with an organization, I... They, they'll often say, can you build this for me? We have this information. Can you build us a dashboard? Can you build us some stuff? And I tend to say no to those. Um, the reason is, yes, of course I could build it for you, right? But that doesn't help you as a school at all. And so I would rather train somebody on your team to be able to do this work and then run with it. Why? Because then that way you have an internal connection. You have somebody internal that understands your context 
that understands your situation and that can create systems that will adapt to changes in your and your school's evolution right so so i think that there's value in having the internal person having someone internally that can do the work now that being said professional development is very important right we all are learners we all want to learn more and there's always more to learn out there and so having a an outside resource like a consultant or somebody like that that can come in and train or provide um, a different perspective on things um, or ask some um, pointy questions, you know, to, to, to get things moving forward, for example, I think is also important. But if a school has the capacity to hire a full-time position like this, absolutely go for it. Um, but if you have a smaller school and you don't, you have people in your organization that are already doing this. You probably have a curriculum coordinator or you have an instructional coach or you have an assistant principal or um, you have somebody that's doing kind of a, you know, more of an umbrella type job, right? Uh, that could take on this role if they if they had a desire to, to learn about it. And I really like that idea of kind of, you know, no, I'm not going to do the dashboard because it's a bit like, you know, if I give you a fish, you eat for a day. If I teach you how to fish, you're, you're good for the rest of your life. And I think that's really quite important, especially when you want schools to have some autonomy and capacity to really engage with this. One thing that we know about data, it's perspective. So everybody looks at data and they see it through different lenses, but also data can be manipulated. Do you think, and I don't know, because, you know, educators have certain ethical principles. Have you noticed that that's something that's really important to engage with? Now you teach courses, you do workshops. Is there a level of ethical conversation in that environment? Um, I've been fortunate enough not to have to come across that, right? There are times I've, I've had one experience so far where the, uh, on a project that I was working on, the feedback from the admin was, we need you to make us look good. That's, that's what I was asked to do. And so based on that, I had to do my best to um, be non-biased with the data but also presented in, in, a, in a certain light. Um, and so with that, I, I do everything I can to, I, I don't hide data or um, you know, do anything like that where you're trying to, to cover things up, um, but you can put certain twists on it, right? Um, and so that's something just to be aware of because sometimes data, data is used for a lot of purposes. One of them is to persuade or to provoke, right? And so depending on how you present that, the type of chart you use, what, what metric you decide to show, how you measure it, it's going to be presented in a different way. And, and it's going to evoke um, a different type of uh, feeling. So, um, so you do have to keep that in mind. But you, I think what I always come back to is like, well, who is my audience? What do they need to know? What are the questions that they have? What do they need answered? And then I try my best uh, to present the data in a way that will help them answer that, those questions. Now, as you know, we're all aware, uh, AI and these large language models have come into play. And I know a lot of people are just throwing in data and hoping something comes out. And uh, I've seen, you know, all kind of mixed results. How much do you think AI is going to start playing in this type of 
uh, field, especially where you are, you know, uh, one thing that you describe in the process is the spreadsheet and the data extraction is really a small part. When you were describing about the teachers that you were working with, a lot of it was about conversations, asking the probing questions, reflecting, being empathetic and listening and being able to kind of sift through the, the emotion and, and the feedback. You know, AI can't do that. Where do you think that balance comes when we start leaning more on artificial intelligence to help us crunch the numbers, but maybe then we don't have that face-to-face -face personal touch that you have when you're interacting with people. Mm, I think that's a, a great thing to think about. And it's, it's something that we all need to need to figure out what we're going to do with that. Um, I, I think that the human, the thing that I often don't have time for is the human interaction to go and sit in a meeting, right? Because I need to go prepare a spreadsheet or I need to uh, wrangle and clean some data in order to make that visualization for that meeting coming up over there. And so that's one thing that I do regret is not having enough time to go in and, and just sit and listen to, to conversations. So the way that I look at it is if AI can help me do some of the cleaning, the wrangling, the preparation of the data and do it more efficiently, then that gives me more time to go in and have those personal conversations. So I do see that there could be a balance Right. If it's um, if you're able to use it to save yourself some time, um, then then I'm all I'm all for it, um, because I do think that there are a lot of things that it can't replace. Um, and those personal interactions, you, you, AI cannot understand body language. It can't get nuances in, in tone and voice and um, it can't pick up on those things. Right. And, you, and that's that's a human's job to do that. And that's pretty, pretty important. Um, so I see, I see them working together though. And I think that's really, uh, nice the way you describe that. It's this idea of cohabitation. And I think that's what we need to understand if we can cohabitate with AI and really, like you said, well, if it can do all the messy spreadsheet work that takes me forever, and then I just get the final data and then I can get my fingers into it. And then that gives you the time to be in that classroom or with that group of teachers that you're trying to talk. No, I, I agree with you. Now, Chris, you offer courses. You have a very engaging website. Of course, uh, to our listeners, go to the show notes. Chris has been very generous in sharing resources and links. So you can definitely pop there and get a, a deeper look. But talk to us about what are people wanting or are you saying, this is what I think you want? How are you creating those workshops? How are you deciding what the need is? Or is it based on your own experience? You're saying this is where the gap is. So, so the, I have a, a few different things that I have. So I have online courses that I do that are self-paced courses. Those were generated out of questions that I kept getting asked over and over and over again. Right. And, and so I would often, and I still do hop on calls on, on a zoom meeting with somebody and they just want to pick my brain. And so we talk and, but I kept seeing themes in what people were asking me. And so I thought, well, how could I create something that would be the answer of the majority of these questions and, and, um, and also provide some, some training to teachers, right? Cause I can't go out and train everybody. So, so that's why I created these self-paced courses. Um, in addition to those, those are pretty surface level courses, right? If you just want to get started, like introduction to, uh, to uh, building dashboards and those types of things. Um, and I just put out a new um, 
introduction to uh, Looker Studio, which is uh, Google's um, uh, business intelligence um, visualization software, which is free. Um, but getting started, if you're not sure how to do it, it's kind of daunting at first. So, so I just built a free um, course that's you can sign up for free and you can finish it in less than an hour. And then you'll and I give you a data set. I, I can teach you how to create a sample data set and then you can go run with that. Um, so that's something right. to look, look forward to. If they, people that want something deeper um, and want more, uh, more of a project, more of accountability, I run a, also a six week um, online uh, synchronous course. Uh, so a live session, six weeks, uh, 90 minutes um, a week. And we do it, we do that. Um, and then I also on the side with anybody who signs up for that, they can have free consultations with me as long as they, in as many times as they want within that six weeks. Um, so I do that. Um, I also, so a lot of the stuff that I produce um, comes from, honestly, it comes from pain points of teachers or questions that they have. So any type of um, a blog, uh, blog post or article that I post is usually coming from a real life situation that's happened in a school. And then I, and then I write about that and I, not, I normalize the data or whatever, but, but that's usually where this is coming from. So my hope in putting that up there is that somebody else out there is going to be able to, to, uh, it's going to resonate with someone else. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the idea behind that. Now, when you talk to schools and school leaders and educators, you talked about some of the pain points. You were seeing patterns and pain points. What are about maybe two things, one that a leader always faces when they engage or think about data? What is the biggest pain point that you're seeing? I think it's just making the information accessible. How do I take this information that I have? Um, like if you think about some online uh, third-party assessment, um, and you need to download that information, that data, and then you need to give it to teachers and ask them to, well, here, here's your kids, go do something with it, right? Um, and so one of the problems that I see is like, how, how can they provide that information to teachers, but make it so that um, it's uh, accessible and it's, it's not just data, but it's actually information that can inform decisions. So that's probably one of the, the biggest uh, things that I see. Um, and then kind of coupled with that is, the lack of skills to be able to create those things. So as I said, like, don't use the default, right? I think a lot of times um, school leaders will fill out a survey, create something in Excel and just pull up whatever they have, a, some aggregate data, they throw it into a spreadsheet, whatever chart Excel gives them. Yeah, that's good. Okay, good, go, right? <laughs> Without any thought about color, font, readability, um, does it have a title that makes sense? Uh, are you, are there, is it a takeaway title or is it just, you know, the number of kids in the class? Like, so it's just putting a little bit of thought and effort into that presentation of, of that data is one of the kind of, I think, a, a pain point that I see. Now, one thing that, you know, a lot of schools have is they have so many different platforms and each platform might have data points. Do you find nowadays there's better tools to kind of have data points talk to each other? Uh, and, you know, are you feeling that, you know, even though companies very likely say, for example, a student information system might not want to uh, work with the curriculum mapping because they're competing companies. Do you think schools have more tools nowadays for these different data points to be able to communicate, to aggregate one set of data? Oh, definitely. 
definitely with with the um, the ability to code. I know this is getting kind of out of some people's realms, but uh, if you have someone on your team that is able to do Python or able to do scripting, um, understands what a data pipeline is, and that can build um, these connectors or APIs, right? You you have the ability to bring your data together into a into a location, into a single location. Um, common terms are like the SQL servers. Um, so if you're able to build a SQL database, then you can have that in a central location and pull what you need for whatever your purpose is for communicating, right? That information. So, so that, that is definitely becoming more um, uh, prevalent in the, in the education industry. There, there are people out there that do that. Um, that's not one of my skills. Um, I wish I could, but that's not one of my skills. Um, but I do know people that can, and it's really, really cool to see what they come up with. So, so I do think that that does help for sure. And I think that's what people really sometimes struggle with is they have a lot of different data points and they have separate final graphs or information, but having that aggregation between those different data points can be very powerful. And as you're saying, there are people out there and you can automate that and you can have regular cycles of data coming in so you can see things over time. So absolutely. Chris, if you were going to give a, a school leader, an educator, any tip or advice if they were thinking about, you know, how to leverage data, what would be something that you think our audience should walk away with when they think about this topic that you've done a wonderful job of demystifying? And thank you for giving such concrete examples, because I think so often there is this not misinformation, but there's a misconception or there is sometimes a, a sense of like, oh, this is too intense. This is all about coding when you have shared very nicely that it isn't. What might be some things that you are one or two things that you'd want school leaders and educators to walk away with? Um, yeah, one thing that comes to mind like is I, I heard it from uh, Laura Lipton. Um, who is very prominent in the field around um, school reform and data and stuff like that. I don't know if she, if she was the person that said it originally, but um, the, the quote is uh, data, data should be a, a flashlight and not a hammer. So I think as, an, as a leader, as a school leader, think about how data can help you do better. It's not an evaluative thing. Don't use it as an evaluative thing. Use it as something positive and present it in a way where um, you're trying to get feedback from the people that you're working with, right? You want to give them information to help them make informed decisions. That's really what it's about. And so if you can have that frame of mind when you're looking at data, how are we going to take this and use it to help and to help our teachers, but also to help our students, right? To become more successful learners. And by taking that information, presenting it in a way that um, that's understandable and easy to digest, then the, the hope is that the teachers will be able to then use that and in turn help students be more successful in their learning. So and I, lo I love that quote and, you know, the flashlight, because flashlight is very positive. It's kind of giving you light. You feel you have some direction, you know where you are. And I think so often we have to remember, you know, and you said it before, Chris, is that you want to provoke people's conversations, not about, about you know, what color the graph is, but the data is getting you to start thinking about pedagogy or even leadership or even, you know, strategic plans. And I think that's 
so important. And I like that quote that you shared. Chris, thank you so much. I want to remind people, uh, Chris has a wonderful site. It's called chrissmithvisualization.com. Am I correct? Yeah, smithvisualizations.com. Smithvisualizations.com. Do go there. The show notes are there. Chris has been generous and shared things. Chris, thank you so much. And uh, I definitely want to come back to you once, you know, chat GPT-4 is everywhere and we can kind of see how that's impacted things. But Chris, thank you so much for sharing and, uh, you know, highlighting some of the things that I think we all are walking away with and realizing that this is can be really a positive and a great way to provoke good conversation. So thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you very much for a great conversation.